I sat in my favorite brown leather chair with few of my own words pouring out onto the page of my journal before me. I had asked, I had cried, I had begged. My heart was breaking and I could feel this deep and tangible pain deep inside me. I wanted my faithful, caring Abba to, to say yes, to fix the problem, to see my patience and my faithfulness and to acquiesce. I was afraid that I was the problem, that I was living out the consequences of years of disobedience. I was afraid that if I told God I was okay, he would leave me here to suffer. I needed him to know how much I feared the never. He needed to hear me and understand that never was not an acceptable answer. These are the words of Psalm 13. I'm hurting, Lord. Will you forget me forever? How much longer, Lord? Will you look the other way when I'm in need? How much longer must I cling to this constant grief? I've endured this shaking of my soul, so how much longer will my enemy have the upper hand? It's been long enough. Take a look at me, God, and answer me. Breathe your life into my spirit. Bring light to my eyes in this pitch black darkness, or I will sleep the sleep of death. Don't let my enemy proclaim I have prevailed over her, for all my adversaries will celebrate when I fall. Lord, I have always trusted your kindness, so answer me. I will yet celebrate with passion and joy when your salvation lifts me up. I will sing my song of joy to you, the Most High, for in all of this you have strengthened my soul. My enemies say that I have no Savior, but I know that I have one in you. When have you felt like God has forgotten you, like he has left you alone in your pain to suffer? Pray with me. Father, I pray this morning that the words out of my mouth will be your words. I pray that our hearts will be soft. And Father, I pray that your spirit will reveal to us how you create beauty and joy from the ashes of our struggles. Amen. My name is Wendy Vanderwell, and uh, my husband is Tom, and I have been the illustration of many a sermon <laughs> so far. I'm not going to try to get him back this morning. We'll save that for a different day. Um, I've been part of this auditorium family basically since it began, and so this is so exciting to me to come and be part of this summer of story, uh, to tell a story that it's taken me a long time to be ready to tell. So I was single much longer than I wanted to be or intended to be. My dad used to joke with my sister and I that we couldn't date until we were 30. I got married at 33, and my sister got married at 34. So I think you should have been a little more careful with his words. In retrospect, I am really thankful that my heavenly father gave me a lot of time and space to work through a lot of the damage I had done to myself and the damage that life had done to me uh, before I got married. And also, I was lucky enough to have a whole group of friends that were actually walking a very similar marriage timeline. As I walked in extended singleness, God was preparing me to trust him. For those of you this morning who are walking that journey of unexpected or unwanted singleness, I want you to know that I understand, and days like this can be hard. 
Um, and it can be really uh, lonely and hard inside the church, even despite singleness's many benefits, um, but especially in the church where marriage and family are really highly prized. But I just wanted you to know that that's where my heart, I, my heart feels you. I am a journaler, so especially when I'm in pain or when I'm struggling with something, I want to get it all out on the page. And my brain likes to be a problem solver. So as I, as I worked out all these things on paper that I was walking through in the single years, I began to form this, this sort of mantra of trust that I would repeat to myself over and over whenever I needed it. It goes like this. If God is good, and I believe that he is, then the events or circumstances of my life are known to him, and he has already promised to work all things together for my good. Father, Son, and Spirit are actively walking with me and are neither ignorant nor unconcerned. I can trust that God has good plans for my life because I have seen him work in me and around me in the past. So, if God is for me, as Romans 8.31 says he is, then I can know that there is a purpose to be found in the midst of my pain. Because if there is no purpose, no good plans, and God is not who he says he is, then I would be a fool to believe. It's really as Pastor Kevin has been saying lately, do we believe that Jesus is alive or are we worshiping a dead guy? After a while, and even to this day as Tom can attest, I only, only ever have to begin if God is good and I believe that he is because the rest of it is already known deep inside my being. So these thoughts repeated over and over again, they helped motivate all the faith and trust that I had to get through those years and the, the difficult emotions and doubts that come with, with the kind of loneliness that singleness brings. So a lot of that worked for me, but I could never have expected what God had planned for me in marriage and it wasn't what I thought it was going to look like. On New Year's Eve 2005, I married Tom, and I not only became a wife, but I became a stepmother to two teenage daughters. Even before we got married, Tom and I had talked about and decided that we wanted to grow our, our family and have children together. We knew that age and obstacles and all those things could have an effect and lower our chances, but even so, as is suggested by everyone who knows, you wait for a year uh, into marriage before you get married or before you try to have children and so we did that so when we began to try uh, to get pregnant I was about 34 years old by the beginning of 2008 we had been unsuccessful and we knew that it was time to go talk to the doctors it was discovered that one of my fallopian tubes was blocked which if you're curious is called a hydrosalpinx you can google that if you want more information because this blockage not only made the tube ineffective, it could also leak fluid back into the uterus and cause problems with pregnancy. In early 2008, it was decided that that fallopian tube would be removed. Some of the unwelcome things, and there are a lot of unwelcome things to learn in this process, but some of the unwelcome things I learned in those years. The odds of natural pregnancy in any given month are around 15 to 20, maybe 25%. With only one fallopian tube, I had already cut that in half. At over 35 years old, I would already be considered a geriatric pregnancy. Just what every woman wants to hear. With these issues, I was likely hovering below a 5% chance of pregnancy. 
So by the end of that year, we turned to assisted reproductive technology and infertility drugs. And the infertility drugs didn't work. So by the middle of 2009, we entered into our first round of in vitro fertilization, or IVF, at the University of Iowa Hospitals. This began our life of hormone shots and hormone patches and all sorts of other lovely things. There are a lot of stories I could tell you about the hormones in the life of somebody dealing with infertility. Uh, but the one that I will never forget was the day um, after we applied the very first estrogen patch on my body without knowing what would be happening. And I remember picking a fight with Tom on the way to church and being incredibly emotional about something I'm sure was nothing at all. And then sitting in the parking lot, sobbing uncontrollably about that nothing, as well as about the fact that I'd been assigned to do video production that morning for Celebration Sunday baptisms. So my sweet husband <laughs> volunteered to go and take care of the video production and sent me up to the prayer tower to pray, recover, and find my emotional equilibrium. So our first try at IVF was anticlimactic and unsuccessful. Um, in search of something a little closer to home than the University of Iowa, we found a really great clinic in West Des Moines, and so we tried again there. Uh, the protocol and process at that clinic were actually way better, and my body didn't have quite as many issues. Uh, but we tried IVF again at the beginning of 2010. We got almost there. We'd had a brief positive and elevated numbers, and then it fell. And it was clear that it had failed again. And it was another year before we could muster the money and the emotion to try again. Then, a miracle. This third try at in vitro fertilization had been successful, and we were pregnant. I was overjoyed and extremely excited for all those pregnancy symptoms. I was anxious to complain with all the other pregnant women, and I was so pumped to join this exclusive sorority. Our first ultrasound would be at seven weeks to check that the things were going well and to listen to the heartbeat. And the weekend before the ultrasound, had start, I had uh, started to spot. But I did my research and I called the clinic and I was told that this was very much perfectly normal. And then the spotting turned bright red. And my heart knew. When we went for the ultrasound, our fears were confirmed. There was no heartbeat for our sweet baby. I was devastated. I had believed that this was the answer, that God had finally stepped in and shown his power so that I could shout from the mountaintops how amazing he was, how he answers prayer. In my early 20s, when I had briefly moved away from Pella for a job, I experienced my first adult valley journey with God. A great friend had given me a book, uh, Hind's Feet in High Places, by Hannah Hernard, at some point in the year before. And it has become one of the most impactful books of my life. In fact, if you haven't read it, I highly recommend it no matter what stage of the journey you're on. Heinz Feet is an allegorical story of a girl named Much Afraid. 
and her desire to be with the shepherd in the high places. Much afraid, however, was lame, and she had no hope of reaching those high places. The shepherd promised to bring her there if she would trust him in the journey, and he assigned her the traveling companions, sorrow and suffering. She was not thrilled with his choices, but agreed to trust him. He brought her through many twists and turns, some of them seemingly far away from the mountains that she desired. She protested. He said, much afraid, do you love me enough to accept the postponement of the promise and to go down there with me into the desert? I do love you. I know that you know that I love you. Oh, forgive me because I can't help my tears. I will go down with you into the wilderness, right away from the promise if you really wish it. Even if you cannot tell me why it has to be. I will go with you, for you know that I do love you, and you have the right to choose for me anything you please. This long-ago journey and training ground of mine was another piece of the foundation that God had helped me build to walk on during this time and new place of difficulty in infertility. As I've said, I journal my way through pain and struggle, and this was a depth of pain and struggle that I had never experienced before. Miscarriage is certainly a death, as those of you who've experienced it know, but infertility is the death of a dream. As I wrote and prayed, there were countless times that I truly thought my heart would shatter from the pain and grief. The prayer that I remember so well and is scattered throughout my journal from those days is that my Abba, the God of this universe, would just hold my heart together and keep it from breaking. I was not sure sometimes if I would make it through this intact. God does not tell us that we should not grieve. In 1 Thessalonians 4.13, he says that we should not grieve like those who have no hope. Joy is not found by willing away or stuffing down your pain. You must be honest with yourself and with God and let the comforter help you grieve. I have, as Amy shared last week, that she stood in a field and screamed at God. I've done that in field, but I have yelled, screamed, wept at, with, questioned our amazing God. And I've always believed that this God is strong enough to handle all of what our humanity can bring to him. He knows my every thought, but, but like a friend, he wants me to share all those thoughts with him. So in my journaling, I cried out to God to save me. I was sad and I was angry and I asked all of my questions. I was pleasantly surprised in going back and looking at my journal over all of those years that I discovered that, but yet I will praise you, formed the end of nearly every time I wrote it was always my posture. 
I had learned this by crying out the Psalms to him in my early 20s in this new adult and scary phase of life. I had learned it by crying out the Psalms to him as I struggled with being single and lonely and feeling unwanted. King David gave us the template over and over again as he poured out his pain and his anger and his fear to God. So as David cried out long before me and ending the pouring out of emotion in Psalm 13, I will yet celebrate with passion and joy when your salvation lifts me up. I will sing my song of joy to you, the Most High, for in all of this, you have strengthened my soul. My enemies say that I have no savior, but I know that I have one in you. Because I had learned it before, I could end my own crying out with an affirmation of my love and trust for God. I could say to him, as Job did in Job 13, 15. Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Through the two previous in vitro procedures, we'd frozen multiple embryos for our use. In July of 2011, we had an unsuccessful frozen embryo transfer. And then in August, our doctor used our last two perfect embryos. He called them. Still no. I wanted, I believed in the last minute miracle. The you catastrophe, as Tom has talked to us about before. A eucatastrophe is a sudden and favorable resolution of events in a story just when the circumstances are darkest and most hopeless. A happy ending. It's Gandalf appearing in a shining light above Helm's Deep with the rescuing army. It's Aslan showing up to destroy the White Witch when all hope is nearly lost. It's Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead and then doing the same for himself. Never was so much harder than I'd expected. I would never hold my own baby in my arms. I would never look at my child and see my curls. My children wouldn't grow up with my friend's children. I would never contribute grandchildren or cousins to my family tree. I could never watch my mother soften as she held my baby. And I would never be mommy to a little one. By the end of 2011, our hearts could no longer take the pain and the dashing of hopes. Tom and I came to a decision that it was time to get off the train of trying, and so we chose to lean into God and let him heal our hearts. Sorry. <laughs> Jesus doesn't promise us an easy life. It's made easier by his presence, not because he necessarily changes the circumstances. This is what our God promises us from Psalm 91. If you'll hold on to me for dear life, says God, 
I'll get you out of any trouble. I'll give you the best of care if only you'll get to know me and trust me. Call me and I'll answer. Be at your side in bad times. I'll rescue you, then throw you a party. I'll give you a long life, give you a long drink of salvation. Tom and I spent the next years processing and struggling through what God was doing in us. So physically, I began the process of letting my body heal from all the procedures and hormones. And spiritually, uh, from my mind and soul to work through the, the natural depression that comes and the grief. Journaling, prayer, praise, choosing in over and over, seeking and knocking. During this time, God was teaching us to praise him in all circumstances. In the fall of 2015, I had been journaling about this uh, one word thing that was running around church. And I'd had this thing in my mind. It was kind of leaning in on me and I didn't want it and I was pushing it away and resisting. And so it was, it was in that fall. I'd been reluctant to accept it. But at that point... God pressed into me that joy was my word. So for the rest of that year and the next, God led me on an incredible journey of finding and living in joy. Just a few weeks after that, God gave me this scripture from Isaiah 54. Sing, barren woman who has never had a baby. Fill the air with song, you who've never experienced childbirth. You're ending up with far more children than all of those childbearing women. God says so. Clear your ground, lots of ground for your tents. Make your tents large. Spread out. Think big. Use plenty of rope. Drive those tent pegs deep. You're going to need lots of elbow room for your growing family. You're going to take over whole nations. You're going to resettle abandoned cities. Don't be afraid. You're not going to be embarrassed. Don't hold back. You're not going to come up short. I'm still not sure what all of that means for me, but I do know that I have a God who has shown himself to be faithful and trustworthy. In Hind's Feet in High Places, there's this, this one phrase from Much Afraid that I have struggled with every time I've read it and thought about it, and when I look at it, post it on my computer screen down at the bottom so that I can remember it all the time. In response to this little golden flower that's growing alone in the desert wasteland, much afraid, says to herself, he has brought me here when I did not want to come for his own purpose. I too will look up into his face and say, behold me, I am thy little handmaiden, acceptance with joy. Much afraid always marked her lessons with the shepherd with a stone that would later become an altar. I've chosen to mark some of my words on my arms, and I'm not suggesting that anybody else needs to do that. But one of the, one of the ones that marks that time for me is the beginning of James 1, 2 through 4. It says, consider it pure joy. And consider in this sense, is to regard something as having a specified quality. So consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, because you will know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. 
Let perseverance finish its work so that you may become mature and complete, not lacking anything. I can shout from the mountain, just as I had wanted to, that my God has fulfilled his promises. And I did get my catastrophe. It's just not the one I expected. God gave birth to a joy in me that I had never experienced and I didn't even know to look for. In walking this difficult path together, my partnership with Tom has become stronger than I could have ever imagined. And by choosing into this unexpected marriage and this space of life, I gained two daughters of my heart, Taylor and Madison, who have chosen into love with me. We are a family, and I am a mother. I'm going to invite the worship team back up. So there's three things today that I want to leave you with. My, uh, my takeaway for, for the day. The first one is that you can no more just choose joy than you can get up off your couch and run a marathon. It's not how it works. Just like we have to train our muscles, we train our hearts and our minds. I could lean into God during the tragedy of infertility and find joy because I had trained to be ready when it got hard. Just as Kevin and Lane taught us last summer in the sanctuary, to have the words of Psalm 23 and the Lord's Prayer and the Jesus Prayer memorized and ready. Those are tools creating muscle memory. And I had built my foundation on his words. The second thing I want you to take away today is that choosing joy requires choosing trust and praise over and over and over and over and over. One of the, the foundational things that we've learned in this room, um, and if, if you haven't experienced this yet, find somebody who's been here for a while and they can tell you all about it. It's called the chain reaction of praise. And the chain reaction of praise says, praising the Lord activates our faith to pray powerful prayers, to overcome evil, to enable us to rule and reign with Christ. When we choose into praising God, we have the power to find joy in the darkest of times, or at least at the end of them. The third thing I want to leave you with today is that the Holy Spirit's work is required to walk a journey of heartache and end up at joy. I yielded my pain and my sorrow and suffering to the Holy Spirit as I journaled and I prayed and I cried out and I shouted. I knew I was incapable of walking this path of grief without help. And that in my own strength, I would only wind up in bitterness and anger. And I had to choose to allow the comforter to walk with me, to let the Holy Spirit step in and heal my wounds and my heart and soul.
So these are the things that I encourage you to be thinking about as you walk in your journey over the coming days and weeks. We're going to worship one more song. Uh, I believe, do we have elders this morning? Doing uh, communion somewhere. Um, yeah, let's worship together. <laughs>